coordination I'm just really everybody ready to go ready to go good evening welcome to the joint um, city commission county commission meeting for this evening we welcome everybody that is here as well as on zoom we're going to start out by having sherry say a few words thank you mayor and good evening everyone if you are attending this meeting via zoom please ensure you are muted and your video is off if you are not actively participating in the meeting this allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen if you have any trouble, you can send a chat, and all chats go directly to the meeting host. The city reserves the right to mute or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you very much. Um, start out with a couple of words from um, Chair Kelly as well as myself. I don't have a lot to say other than, again, welcome. Sarah, thank you for coming tonight, and Craig, staff, for everybody to be here tonight. This is um, uh, obviously a very um, collaborative topic that we have here. The one, the, I believe it's been what, about a year, year and a half that we had the agreement finished up that had been done and it was the first time in a long time we had redone that agreement. So we're into it and we've had a chance to see how it works and now's a good time to kind of revisit what is going on with our fire department and get an update and have a discussion. Yeah, thank you, Mary Larson. And on behalf of the county, we're very happy to be here. Thanks for hosting. Uh, this is a collaborative process that we share, the, the way that we're structured. And we've made a lot of progress in the past couple of years on how we work together on this. So it's really great for us to be all in one space hearing the same uh, presentation from LDCFM. And, and I look forward to the discussion and conversation. Thank you. So we'll start with our chief, Llewellyn. Making sure that the slides are working all right. Does that look good? Okay, they're up there. Good evening, Mayor Larson and Chairperson Kelly and members of both commissions. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to come and speak before this joint meeting of the city and county commissions. My name is Rich Llewellyn. I'm the fire chief for Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical and I have with me division chief of EMS, Kevin Joles and senior data analyst, Mackenzie Azell. Uh, we're happy to have this opportunity to give you this presentation. Uh, we were talking earlier today. Uh, the last time we were all here in front of the city commission uh, was just a couple months ago. Each of us received notification from our Apple Watches the next day that said your pulse appeared to be above 120. Well, you didn't appear to be exercising. Are you okay? Um, so uh, we, we think we're okay, and, and uh, we hope we, we uh, get, get a similar thought tomorrow. So. Oh. We, we did want to update you on where we're at with LDCFM historically and currently and provide you with some opportunities to discuss uh, what the future direction of our organization should be and to look at a couple different angles that have been vetted by our team and, and 
provided to you for your review and discussion. Uh, first off, I want to talk about a new look for our logo in recognition of our collaborative agreement, our joint, joint agreement. We do have a new look to our logo. You see that instead of uh, Douglas County being in smaller font, it's now in the same size font on the, on the bottom there. And, and we removed the hydrant and what's called the scramble uh, from each side. And so fire medical is still included as well. But you'll start seeing this on new apparatus that show up. You'll see it on uniforms as they're phased in. So it, it does, I think, better represent our, our collaboration and, and the teamwork that we have here between the city of Lawrence and Douglas County. Uh, just for some historical background, uh, we do have five fire and EMS stations in the city of Lawrence, uh, and they're noted on your map with the uh, Maltese cross symbols, one through five. And we do have two EMS only stations. One is Station 11 in Baldwin City. The other is Station 12, what we call Station 12 in Eudora. That's co-located at the Eudora Fire Station. We have an ambulance there, a medic unit at Eudora Fire Station. And we have another medic unit down in Baldwin City that, that serves that part of the county. Uh, this has been our configuration in terms of fire stations within the city of Lawrence since 2006. Uh, in that year, we expanded to five stations. We added a station five at in at 1900 uh, Stewart, uh, kind of 19th in, in Iowa, and we moved station four over to Wakarusa from its its previous location on Lawrence. Uh, the the station in Eudora, or the ambulance being stationed in Eudora, occurred in 2012, so that was kind of the last little uh, expansion that we had. If you look at the right side of your screen, you do see what we call our planning zones. This is how we view our response areas. They're roughly based on the closest apparatus to come into that area. Within the city of Lawrence, you'll see we have five urban planning zones, what we refer to as urban planning zones, one through five. Those are associated with the stations. Uh, we have a planning zone in Baldwin City and then Eudora that are also, we talk about urban planning zones because those are, are urbanized areas under our system. We do have rural areas that we call. We call Douglas County one through five or DG one through five. DG one incorporates Grant Township. These are roughly based on um, the closest resource that could get there and what station it's associated with. So you see down in the southern part of Douglas County, we have planning zone 11 that's associated with Medic 11 coming out of Baldwin City. Looking at our total incident counts, uh, this is the work that we do. This is the work that the folks who staff our apparatus are out doing every day. Uh, these are the, the EMS responses. These are the fire responses, the hazardous materials responses that, that we run on. You'll see at the time of our last expansion in 2006, we were running just shy of 9,000 calls uh, at about 89.64 with our last Got to move this over just a little bit. Uh, our last uh, data set came from 2022, and we're about 15 and a half thousand. So, quite a bit of increasing volume over the time period, uh, without any additional resources 
The trend line has been continuously up. You see a little bit of a dip uh, in 2019 and again a bigger dip in 2020. The, the dip in 2020 is an experience that, that most fire departments uh, saw across the country associated with COVID and, and I equated it to people not wanting to go to the hospital because of the, the fear of COVID and, and the unknown. So that's, that's not an unusual dip. Also not unusual in my experience was the rebound the next year in 2021. Uh, the numbers came right back up to the trend line. It, it, previous employers that I worked with saw similar increases. I think that's, that's pretty common across the, the United States. We want to look at our heat maps and, and understand what our call dispersion is. Uh, these come from our, our uh, run data from 2017 through 2021 uh, throughout Douglas County and the city of Lawrence. You'll see some, um, some of the areas that are marked in, in dark red are, are where we're hitting over 1,500 calls a year. To note there, one grid that was altered intentionally was the grid that has Lawrence Memorial Hospital. We run a significant number of transports or transfers from that facility and we didn't want to skew the data. So you'll see where the hospital's at. It just has a response data not associated with that address. And then to the right, you can see what our response times look like over those uh, same, that same time frame. Uh, we want to we want to meet within the city of Lawrence a four minute drive time response. Uh, we have a turnout time criteria, but you can see where we're we're starting to struggle a bit on the periphery and meeting our response time expectations, particularly on the north area of Lawrence, the northwest, and the and the far south of Lawrence. Looking at some road mile mapping, we wanted to look at. 2006 and compared to 2023, uh, we thought this might be worthwhile, particularly in the context of our ISO or insurance service office review, which looks at our, our disposition or our deployment. Uh, the ISO looks to make sure that we have engine response within a mile and a half road mile area for all the areas and then ladder response within two and a half road miles of all the areas. So you see in 2006, we had a pretty good coverage of, of most areas of the city. Again, some areas in the west and the far north did not have uh, the mile and a half for engine coverage or the two and a half mile for ladder coverage. Uh, I wasn't here in 2006, but my understanding is those areas weren't as developed at that point. And though they were in the city, they hadn't seen the development that we have seen. If you fast forward to, to 2023, we've put the current footprint of the city in those areas. And we, we also maintained our uh, roadmap at a mile and, and a mile and a half, or excuse me, a mile and a half and two and a half miles for engine and ladders respectively. You may see a, some of the roads look like there's more reach in those areas. We have more roads available. Um, we're not driving faster, but we just have more roads in those areas. You can see, uh, particularly in the far west and northwest, that there's more areas of, of blank places where we can't get to or we don't have that mile and a half road coverage. Another thing we want to look at as we talk about activity is travel time analysis. Uh, we expect a, a four mile drive time from our stations. That's the benchmark that that uh, we have set. Uh, you can see that uh, we're starting to develop areas in the north 
in the west where we don't have a four minute drive time uh, and as well in the far south where we don't have that drive time and we we don't encourage our members to drive irresponsibly we want them to drive safely so drive time is is very important for us uh, on the right, you can see we, we played with the numbers a little bit to look at what a 10-minute drive time and an 8-minute drive time looked at from our current stations, our current station configuration, uh, just with Lawrence stations, not looking at stations from outside of Lawrence. Hello. All right. So um, from the 2020 station optimization, optimization analysis, um, we identified these three major gap areas. And these major gap areas, we found um, where our standards of cover, that four-minute drive time that Chief talked about, we were not able to reach those areas. Um, so looking at these three maps, we can see the city of Lawrence. Um, we have the northwest, the north, and the south gaps that are from the station optimization analysis. The green area is that standards of cover, so the four minute drive times from our current station locations. In the green area, we should see blue dots. So in the graphic, blue dots represent an incident that we are able to meet our travel time of four minutes or less. Um, the red correlate to an incident that we were unable to meet that benchmark. Um, so we do see some blues in the area that's not covered by green. We have um, units that are out and about. Maybe they're coming from another call. Maybe they're coming from training. Um, they're not responding from their station, so they were able to get to those other incidents um, in a quicker time frame. Um, we also see that there are red dots in green areas. So same thing, they might be responding from um, another incident or from training, or it might be another unit um, that's not responding typically in that first due area. So for example, um, on the south side, station five typically responds to that area. It's our planning zone five. If station five is on a call in another area, another station will have to come into that space to respond to that incident. Um, so that's what we can kind of tie into some of the response performance there. Uh, to put a little bit of this in perspective, um, we'll just take an example out of one of the calls that happened earlier this year out at Rock Chalk Park. Um, fortunately for most of the special events that are out there that take place during business hours or special event planned business hours, um, we're covered because we are paid to be there on an extra um, in an extra arrangement. Uh, but there are hundreds of residents that live out that way that that aren't covered in that particular manner because they're not paying extra for us to be there for a special event. So we had a cardiac arrest that was out there earlier this year at the uh, recreation center. That fortunately they did have staff on site that was able to deploy a um, an AED and have a successful um, return to spontaneous circulation, and the patient uh, was able to recover. However, that was a, um, during business hours with employees that were trained how to use that AED. The building was open and they had access to that AED. Uh, normal uh, out of business hours or if the, um, the uh, facilities are closed, they wouldn't have that extra, um, the bystanders to be able to provide that care and they're outside of that four minute drive time. We also are seeing a correlation with these gaps to one of the appendix items that was in the presentation that we provided you. Um, you can see the building permits have trending areas. Um, it was just for a certain time period that was provided, but we have seen correlation with that. So why are we here? We are here to discuss um, 
an ex two expansion stations and one relocation station that's being proposed by LDCFM. Um, this is through the station optimization analysis. The map on your right shows scenario five that was presented through that analysis. However, that is not the exact scenario that we are um, proposing today, specifically talking about the locations of those stars. So if you look at the map, you can see stations one, two, four, and five. Um, in the proposal, station three is being relocated, and I'll let Chief talk about station three here in a moment, um, or Chief Joel's. And then we have two proposed expansion stations, one to address the west gap um, and one to address the south gap if station three moves um, moves more towards the central north area. So with this, um, looking at the map, you can see candidate locations. So with the study, we use candidate locations using a GIS tool um, with five dimensions of risk and basically ask the tool with, given the data sets, what would be the smartest move to put stations? So station three for this um, specific thing was selected to move and then added those two stations. You can also see the four minute drive time, that same blanket of coverage um, from those other maps is here. And you can see in the dark green, the coverage that's gained and then the coverage that's lost in the blue. So this also used um, current city limits from 2019 and then um, the 2040 city limits projection also from that same time. So um, moving forward, our proposal does factor in that the data would be updated with three years of newer data um, and also look at the new um, city limits and those other risk factors. Also included in that would be property locations and that was not utilized during this um, optimization analysis. All right, so we can discuss the policy questions. So there's three options um, here to discuss tonight. Uh, option one is LDCFM expansion of two stations with a single re relocation being um, recommended for station three with a one-time cost of $52 million. Um, uh, ongoing annual cost of $6.8 million. Um, you can see the breakouts there. City of Lawrence on the one-time cost is $34.4 million. Douglas County is 18.1. City of Lawrence on the ongoing annual cost would be 4.4 and Douglas County would be 2.4 million. Option two is a one-time cost of 15.5 million, which City of Lawrence's breakout would be 9.9 .9, and Douglas County's would be 5.5. And option three should be, uh, or it should LDCFM's expansion go to the go on the ballot in November, which um, if that was to take place, we would have to consider education campaign staff time in order to create that to, to be able to go to the ballot. Uh, city commission would have to pass a resolution, a public meeting of submitting a ballot language to the county clerk. Ballot language would have to be received by the county clerk no later than September 1st. would like to, to add in as we talk about the potential for station expansion or relocation. Uh, and in light of the, the increasing call volume that we saw earlier, uh, these stations are not only going to be absorbing some of those calls, uh, but they're creating a, a layer of redundancy that we don't have currently. Uh, if station five is out of its district, the next closest station may be station four, station three, and they may be coming down to, to help out in station five if there's an additional call there. So you can see the potential cascading effect as units move around the city. By increasing the number of available units, we increase redundancy. And this just doesn't occur within the city of Lawrence. We have what we call move up alarms where we may pull resources, the ambulances that are parked in, in Eudora or 
in Baldwin City, and they may move up in here to Lawrence to assist with, with busy periods. So we do have that in your appendix material. You can see how many times over the past three years what we call move up alarms occurred. So that's a, an additional factor to consider as we're talking about that. Um, we are talking, uh, um, one of the things we, we have as far as an option is the potential for a one-time one -time relocation, and that would most likely be Station 3. Station 3 was built in 1966. It's uh, approaching its 60th anniversary, uh, which, is, uh, which is old for a fire station, barring a major <laughs> renovation. Station 1 is older, but it did have a fairly significant renovation that lasted for uh, at least a couple years. Um, the last major work on Station 3, which is up on 6th, uh, just, just west of Castle, occurred in 2004. So it's 20 years past its, its last major re renovation and it's approaching its 60th birthday. So just uh, some more factors to consider there. So just to give you a picture, um, we did shoot a little high on some of these prices, and, and it's not for a wow factor. It's not to make your heart rate go high on your watch either, um, but we just wanted to be realistic with the local agencies that we've been able to find that have built recently, are building, or are going to build uh, very soon. Um, finding that, and I'll just give you an example on the Olathe um, shot there, it says 14 million. They built a station that uh, was their station eight. Um, two years ago, they moved into it and it was $8 million, but their estimated station 12 um, is now going to be between 12 and 14, and it's the same identical station, just obviously a different location. So um, there are rates that um, just have incurred over time because of the supply chain, uh, most likely. Um, so we just wanted to shoot high, just not to, not to make anybody really panic. Um, there are opportunities to have consolidated um, resources, um, maybe some partnerships with other county and city agencies to be able to co-locate, um, but here's a, just a few that are, are local that you can take a look at and we could definitely have more conversations about design and and uh, purpose um, going forward so the the last slide is uh, what's next and and we think it's time to revisit the 2020 station optimization analysis just to make sure uh, that the the data is current and then the locations or stations that we've identified are the correct ones uh, based on current and, and future expectations. Uh, the city is uh, considering the LEED standard or LEED certification for building and that, that uh, would come into play uh, in terms of building a new station or planning for a new station. And then uh, the, the potential impact for the cost share agreement, there was a, a percentage change that we noticed in the, from where we're at in the current agreement uh, that would occur or, or probably need to occur based on the, the change in, in department size. So that is it for our slides and we're ready to answer any questions or watch your discussion as as you wish. I'm sure we'll have some questions, so don't go far. But thank you very much for the presentation, and we'll open it up to questions from the commissioners. So, Chief, um, if in option number two, when it's just moving station three, what locations are looked at for that, and then what gaps are remaining, because we didn't get a map for, for that option? Yeah, I, I think if that was the only option, uh, likely station three would, would remain relatively close to where it's at maybe push out a little bit west. If we only had one station, we'd have to optimize where we were gonna move it. But I, I think 
for it just being a standalone station that's in a, a relatively reasonable location. I'll have a lot of questions, so I will only ask a couple now and then let everybody else uh, come in. Um, what, how often are outside resources called in? You talked about move up where you're using our, our own medic units within the county, but how often are we requiring resources from outside of the county? Do we have agreements for those? And what is, what is the cost associated with it? Yeah, great question. Uh, we're currently working on, on developing more robust agreements with outside agencies. Uh, when I arrived, the only um, mutual aid agreements uh, were with Olathe Overland Park and Ottawa. Those were the kind of the existing fire service agency agreements. Um, we do have a tender agreement in place where, where we can get tenders, uh, particularly in Grant Township. Um, but beyond that, we don't have really robust agreements with outside agencies. So we're working on that. I just just uh, got an agreement back for Shawnee Heights from City Legal and, and shipped it over to Shawnee Heights as, a, as kind of a first test case for a, a modern framework for a mutual aid agreement. And I've had discussions with a lot of other agencies around here. Um, I don't necessarily want to name them right now, just, just so they don't get questions from their governance, but uh, we are in talks with a lot of different agencies. Okay, one last one and then I'll mm -hmm. stop. Um, in terms of ISO ratings, so Lawrence is currently rated number one, is that right? We are, yes. And, and assume if we don't continue to build stations or mind our response times, at what point do we lose that designation and become a ISO two? Yeah, great question. Uh, in 2016, when we, when we went to an ISO one, we had about 99 points out of 105 and a half, I think is the, the uh, not so round number. Um, with our recent re-rate, we were just over 90 points uh, between 90 and 91. One of the areas where we lost points was in that deployment analysis, and that's looking at the mile and a half for engine or two mile and a half, two and a half mile uh, availability for ladders. and if they can cover the built-up areas of the city. And so that is an, an area that concerns us, and I think our plan here would address it, or our, our, our station optimization plan that we had talked about. I don't know if, if everyone is kind of up to speed on the ISO ratings and what they do to people's insurance rates. So, but that's kind of the trade-off is we spend money to build stations or individual homeowners and renters are burdened with the cost of additional uh, insurance expense. Do you just want to cover that a little bit? Yeah, thank you. Uh, ISO is the private organization that analyzes the fire protection that's available in the community. They come into the community, they look at dispatch systems, they look at water supply, and they look at the capability of the fire department to suppress fires that might start. Uh, the, really, the fire department is the area that, that we control as LDCFM. Uh, other areas, we work very closely with our cooperating agencies, both in Douglas County and in the city of Lawrence. Um, and when insurance companies look to set fire protection rates for properties within a community, they look at that property protection class. So ISO 1 is, is the best property protection class you can have. It runs up through ISO 10, which doesn't have any fire protection. Uh, we're very proud of our ISO 1 rating. There, there are very few communities in the country that are able to maintain that. Uh, and in alignment with our accreditation, even fewer are both ISO 1 and accredited agencies. So we're, we're very excited about the ISO 
um, class that we have. Uh, we think that the biggest impact is on commercial and industrial properties. If an industrial property is able to prove that they have an ISL-1, they, I get, they get significant savings on their insurance. I couldn't quote numbers. I think that's a pretty privately held or closely held um, number, but I do know that that's, that's where a lot of the, the difference is in industrial and commercial. Thank you. Other questions? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll just jump in, uh, Commissioner Littlejohn. Uh, what, if we were to pursue um, building out a couple more stations in the relocation, what would be the construction time of that? How long would it take for them to be completed? So we've actually included this in our CIP proposal, so capital improvement projects. Um, we've started it with 2024, this, like this next year. And so for that, we have design and land acquisition in the same year, so 2024. At that time, just because of lead times for apparatus, so a medic unit and fire truck, we would also be um, looking to purchase those or looking to start the procurement in 2024, um, build in 2025 for the first station. And then um, I believe station seven and station three in our proposal and the CIP is um, that next year it kind of offsets a little bit. Okay. And I had another question. Um, I was just kind of curious and just like looking around the region uh, in terms of population size and other cities around us that have stations. Um, seems like uh, we're kind of in that middle zone where like cities below us in population have about the same amount of stations we do, but cities in comparative population or a little bit above us have like seven or eight. Um, I was just wondering if that was contributing to your analysis when you were going ahead and putting this together. Yes, it did. We actually just had this conversation um, earlier. So when we did the 2020 station optimization analysis, we realized that we had five stations um, in the city of Lawrence and then um, one in Baldwin and one in Eudora. And so we looked at um, what's, the, what's the immediate need. And when we presented that station optimization analysis, we did say that um, our response times are not meeting benchmarks right now. So the immediate need is um, very much immediate. But then we were also talking about when we're running the updated data, um, we're hoping to see that these three stations um, hit those gap areas or the ones um, basically help with that standards of cover. Um, but then also looking into the future, understanding that if city limits are projected to change in 2030 and 2040, um, how that might change. Because I'm pretty sure after we published the 2020 station optimization analysis, um, there were some changes in the 2030 and 2040 plan. So understanding that um, and not wanting to put two stations um, in locations that would contradict with potentially another um, station looking forward. But yeah, we didn't want to um, necessarily jump the gun on it and wanted to um, think about in the next five years what's reasonable for department growth. Thank you. Mayor I can uh, add, it, add a little bit in if I could, Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, on on your uh, question. Uh, I've worked in a couple different communities. The community I was at just prior to moving here was about 110,000 people, but a, a smaller and more compact and more densely populated community. It had six fire stations, multiple units at each fire station, and, and a few more units in service just based on the activity and, and run volume. Uh, another community I worked at 
prior to that one has about 135,000 in population, but much, much more dispersed in, in terms of density, about 75 square miles. And they, they're working on their 11th fire station. So it's both a factor of population density and also geographic shape. Thank you. Another reason for density. <laughs> Mayor. Um, uh, and then after this, I'll remind you of Commissioner Sellers. Um, in your um, appendix, you have the call type distribution, and I know you're prepared for this question, and, and I'm sure we've all been asked this by members of the public, but it does seem to show that a goodly number of your calls are more for EMS. Um, so talk to us about... Um, uh, how you did or didn't consider making smaller ambulance stations in different locations versus creating larger, uh, larger station or larger stations. Sure. So we did we did consider that um, we are all all hazards fire department. We work out of our ambulances just the same. We're cross trained for both fire and EMS. Uh, it makes a little more sense for us to continue to do that. Um, and then with the gap analysis that are that's. Uh, pretty apparent on those three sections of the city, including some of the county. Um, it just makes sense to keep those hazard, uh, all hazards deployments together. Did that answer you? Or? Yeah. Also, we looked at our response time capabilities for both EMS and fire. Well, we actually looked at hazmat, tech rescue, EMS, and fire, and saw the same trends um, throughout all of those risk classifications, and then also the categories, um, so low risk and high risk and maximum and moderate. Um, so we saw the same trends of response capabilities. Um, but yes, yeah, so you talk about the call type distribution, which is this one, and one thing that, um, we also look at, noted in the call type examples, is fire calls, EMS calls, and other calls. Um, so just like Chief Joel said, how we are all hazards um, department, and we might have a medic unit and a fire truck show up to a medic, um, an EMS call for the critical tasking um, needs. So if it's a higher risk medical call, we need more resources, and we're not just going to send multiple medic units um, when a medic unit and a fire truck can, um, can do the job. Okay. Questions? Commissioner Sellers. Commissioner Sellers, do you have some questions? I do. That's why my hand is up. Good afternoon, everyone. And uh, thank you, Chief, and your team for presenting today. I do have a couple of questions. Um, Ping-ponging back and forth on a couple of items here. On the call type distribution, and um, it was kind of alluded to in the presentation, uh, when there is an emergency and we need to deploy more resources, which then creates a, I don't want to say deficiency, but it limits the number of additional resources we may have for another call. So I guess my question then, my question is, have we had situations where because of one particular type of, of emergency risk created a deficiency and another need for another high need risk and how did we how did the team circumvent that or what was the result of that or can you can you kind of speak to that yeah i can i can speak to that using an example of a series of arson fires that we experienced in in north lawrence uh, i believe is either late last year or early this year uh, we had a, a working fire in a in a industrial light industrial building 
meaning that all the all the resources uh, there were engaged. We had additional fires that had occurred already. Uh, and I was responding from home and a, another fire came in, a reported fire behind Johnny's Tavern. Uh, all of our resources were out. We did request help from our neighbors at Consolidated Fire District. One, we also had some resources coming from Johnson County to assist us. Uh, it, it was a lonely feeling to be pulling up at Johnny's in just my, my small fire SUV because I don't have a, a lot to do. So luckily that fire had, had already been extinguished. It was in a dumpster. Uh, but we did have resources en route, but it does show that that uh, um, our, our system is built on redundancy and it's important for us to have those in place. So the more the more access to resources we have, the more redundancy we have availability or and, and we're able to cover more types of incidents and, and more incidents at a single time. Okay, thank you. And then again, uh, another question. When we look at the different proposals, and if we look at the first option of the expansion stations and then the relocation, as far as FTEs, what are we looking at, and what does that number does that number include any additional FTEs we need to assist with? I don't want to say issues, but current concerns we're having. That I know you the last time. You spoke, we uh, looked at, I know overtime was brought up and we do have, uh, we do have one of our KPIs looking at clock hours. And so I just want to know what additional FTE, no, how many FTEs will we bring on board with this? And I, know I think we've had this discussion before, but then is that, would that fill the gap as far as what we would need to take some of the pressure off of? overtime that we're seeing with, with staff? Yeah, so um, kind of a two-part answer. So for these stations, um, we are proposing 28 personnel for these two stations. Within that is a staffing relief ratio, and that takes a look at our overtime usage. It takes a look at um, basically how many employees do we need for each seat um, in an apparatus, whether that's a fire truck or a medic unit. And so we've done those calculations and um, that is, um, it's addressing the station expansion. And then we're hoping to do more of that for our 2024 operating budget proposal, as far as the current stations that we have right now using that same staffing relief factor. Per new station. 28 per new station. Per each right? Total. Uh, yes, you're correct. 28 people per station. Per so station. For three okay. Years. Yep. Thank okay. you. All right. I was going to be excited. I was like, two expansions and all we need is 28 new staff. <laughs> I said, oh, don't tell Jeremy that too loud. Okay. Um, on your slide 10, this is based on the agenda, the request slash discussion topic. So when I'm looking at this with the scenario <clears throat> with the two expansion stations and the one relocation station in your, in your, uh, I can't remember what, your key, you have with the dark green is the coverage gain. Is there any way, or did you overlap this to see how this over, how this, um, I guess, did you take this and overlap it with 
um, any parts where we have agreed to some annexate uh, uh, to land annexation to see if that's impacted by coverage gain. I know I would we wouldn't see this from here, and I can kind of I kind of eyeball it. But does land that we've recently annexed, how is it impacted by this station proposal location and with the with the gain coverage? Do we know that yet? Uh, yeah, Commissioner Sellers, if you it's it's pretty light, but there's a solid gray line that shows the current footprint of the city, including all of our recent annexations. I think, with the exception of the of the annexations south of K10, uh, and then there's also a, a more subtle dotted gray line that shows the the um, anticipated 2040 city limits or or growth area. So we do have uh, green. We can see where the drive time, the four-minute drive time, right. does cover those areas that are that have been annexed recently, and, and those areas that are anticipated to be annexed uh, within the next 17 years. Okay, so your dotted line that's proposed that is projecting 2040 takes into account that that piece that we any land that we've annexed. Correct. Okay, and then. Mm -hmm. That's oh. from the old 2040 plan, just FYI. Yeah. And I do want to make a correction. Instead of 28, it's 24. So 24 per station. 24 per station. Yep. Okay. Okay. And then last question. I know I've, I've continuously brought this up and I do it, one, as a reminder to my own self and my notes, but also to a reminder to each respective commission. Last summer, there was um, the Bob Bethel Can Care Oversight Committee had several days of hearings as related to EMS and how there is a gap in um, reimbursement rate, Medicaid reimbursement rate uh, with EMS services. And several, uh, several of the conferees were not only just state EMS, but also some of um, our county EMS services that uh, that border the Oklahoma uh, that, that that state border with Kansas State Kansas Oklahoma border, and what they were saying is that because of the low Medicaid expand Medicaid reimbursement rate, um, that they often see that they're losing um, they're losing staff across the border across the state line. Um, because of salaries and because of the gap in and and the rate that is currently being taken as opposed to what opportunities there could be to increase that rate and i know i previously provided asked this question to our our past chief as well as interim chief and it was kind of dismissed as oh well this is a county thing this really doesn't impact the city but anything related to money in my opinion, as it relates to money to be able to have additional funding for whether it's resources for equipment or for staffing or whatnot, it's both of our issues. So I know you're somewhat familiar with it. Where are we at with that piece? I know that it was presented in front of the legislature. Is this something that as bodies, elected bodies, we need to be advocating for the reimbursement rate to increase so that that's additional funding coming in or, or where are we at with that? If you could share, anyone could share with me that anything on that. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, we apologize um, that we didn't get you that information. We, we're actually currently working on that for you right now. Since the last uh, presentation about a month and a half ago, we've been trying to get some of that data for you. It takes a little bit longer. Um, our billing supervisor has been working on that as well as implementing a new um, software program into the into the city so that we can recoup some funds. So we apologize for the delay, but we will get you a better answer um, sooner than later. Um, in regards to that, though, we have spent some time on um, on the Hill um, as an EMS group, and we are seeing an increase in Medicare re, um, reimbursement. Um, I believe it's going to be up to 100% is what they were talking about. Um, now, is it reimbursed um, to 100% of what we collect or is it be what we bill? We don't know that yet. Um, so we're still working on that. So uh, I'd love to give you the full answer tonight. We will get you something shortly. Um, it is it is on our project to, to get that for you. We, we apologize that you don't have that. But it is it is being discussed. Um, okay. It'd be great if you if it, as much noise as you can make about it um, on the hill, then we would appreciate that. We can help um, coach you um, <laughs> on some things to say. Uh, but I think you're pretty well versed in that. So uh, if you have any specific other questions that we haven't been able to get to, we're more than happy to uh, answer that for you. Okay, thank you. I do appreciate that. It, I, it would be great to have that information. Like I said, I've been I've been clamoring about it for the last year, and while I didn't appreciate it kind of being brushed aside. Uh, I allow being a freshman to an elected body, I checked it up to that, but now this is a matter of a process and opportunity for us. And I'd really like for us, I really wanna make sure that we are capturing as many advantages as we can as it relates to recouping funds um, that could help in this capacity, whether it's funding for additional, uh, additional FTEs, uh, for recruiting, whatever it is, that's that's missed opportunity funding for us, and I don't want to see that. I, I don't want us to to leave money on the table if it's available to us. Um, I'll yield if there's any additional questions at the time, Mayor. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? I've got two. Got a couple. Okay, I'll go ahead. You can go ahead. So, can you can you look at slide 19 in your appendix and help me understand it a little more? Which, uh, I don't that one there, yeah, one. these charts here. So walk me through what I'm looking at and maybe I won't look so dumb. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's okay. So um, these charts are, these maps are from our um, community risk assessment standards of cover. They're also from our annual reports that we submit for accreditation. And so on the far left, we can see EMS high risk. So all of our call types, we give a categorization, like a category and a classification to. Um, and then with each of those, we talk about um, distribution. So the very first, um, the first truck or what, whether that's a fire truck or a medic unit to arrive on scene. And then also the effective response force, which is the ERF and that's the full complement. So if we need X amount of trucks, they all get there by that time. So here we're looking at our first arriving unit. And so for high risk EMS um, calls from 2017 to 2021, we can see the response performance in these areas. And so this is the travel time four minutes is the benchmark. So that's our goal. And then we can see through the colors what the percent benchmark was met um, for those incidents. So if we look at planning zone five, we were talking about that earlier, that's station five right in the middle of um, the city of Lawrence. We can see that there were 192 incidents, if I can read that correctly. And 76% of those incidents 
we met um, the benchmark. So we were able to get there in four minutes or less. If we look to the right, planning zone two, we had 132 incidents and 84% of those high risk EMS calls, we had the first unit arrive there um, within the four minute travel time. Does that help with, there's that one. Well, yeah, and that's then, what I understood it to mean. So, so here's where my question comes from. If I look at planning zone 11 on the EMS high risk, mm -hmm. It was a 57% meet, but you don't have a recommendation to do anything down in that area. Am I correct? Correct. The station optimization analysis, we strictly looked at the urban areas. Um, so on the left and on the right, we're looking at the urban areas and the middle map is the rural areas. So Chief mentioned earlier that um, part of, well, a lot, a big part of this request is to build that depth within our system so that um, station 11 that typically responds to um, deep planning zone 11, um, if we pull them in to the city of Lawrence for a move up, that takes them out. So station five, station four, or station two might be responding to those incidents in planning zone 11. Um, so building that system to keep people in their stations able to respond to their area. Okay. Then my other two questions are, you, you say you're ISO 1, right? How many other communities in Kansas are ISO 1? That's a good question. Hmm? The majority of Johnson County, um, I can get you that number. We also have how many are accredited and ISO one, and I want to say it's less than 10 in Kansas. Okay. Yeah, I'd like that information. And then my last question to you, when you look at those maps that we looked at on um, slide nine, so this is the identified gap areas, I was really taken by how much red and blue is both in the Ford's minute zone and outside of the four minute zone. That was really interesting to me. Did you do any analysis of, let's say it's four minutes and 30 seconds? So we can get some idea of if, if we don't make it, like what, what should we, what should the community expect if we don't, did you do any of that type of analysis? So we didn't, we currently used our um, identified benchmarks, but that has been something that I was actually asked in our accreditation hearing in Florida was who sets those benchmarks and what does the department do about that? Um, the answer is the department doesn't set those, the authority having jurisdiction and community set them. Um, so that is another question. If we want to look at our benchmarks, um, that is open all the time. So in the urban uh, benchmark for travel time, um, that's where we're at four minutes. So the four minute mark is not an accreditation mark. That's just something the local governing bodies have asked for. Is that what you're telling me? So that's something that has been agreed to with the authority having jurisdiction to the governing bodies. Yeah. Um, it's something that we have to have as far as benchmark goes for the accreditation process. The accreditation process does not tell us what it has to be. However, they will compare um, performance to say we're always wanting to improve. However, we've not moved ours um, for X amount of years. Also, um, ours have been adopted. We've adopted them from the NFPA 1710 standard. Um, so industry best practice for urban areas is that four minutes for travel time. Thanks. Quick follow-up question to that is Commissioner Reed. Um, uh, to piggyback off Commissioner Kelly's question that, that helped understand sort of the source of the four minutes, but just theoretically, 
if you were to change that, is that what the ISO rating, is that part of what ISO rating is based on? Like, is that a, I guess, an important factor, um, what that, that benchmark um, drive time is? So our benchmark isn't looked at by ISO, okay. our performance is. Okay. And so when ISO evaluates us, we submit performance to them. Got it. Thank you. But just to follow up real quick, I was just looking at that NFPA 1710 says it's a full minute is the ISO. Isn't that the ISO recommended time, the best practice, the full minutes? Am I looking at that wrong? I believe ISO looks at deployment on, on travel or drive time. Just me, travel miles. Travel miles. And, and the NFPA 1710 is looking at travel time. So they're they're looking at a couple different couple different items. Got it. Yeah, actually though but you covered my questions there, Patrick. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I do have just one more though on slide number six of twenty on the emergency performance, incident dispersion, emergency performance on the right hand map. Um I noticed that we had some red areas that are seem to be really close to fire stations. Could you give me an idea as to why, what that would be about? Yeah, uh, if we look at, uh, there's a red area that's somewhat close to station four. It's, it's a couple uh, boxes away from station four. Uh, there are not a lot of, of, of calls in there, in that area. That's, uh, what's the lake that's down there? Is it Lake Austin? Lake Albemarle okay. is, is, fills a majority of that box. So if we have one or two calls in there and, and we didn't do a good job getting there or there, we're coming from a distance away, our response time is going to show um, poorly in that area. So it's going to show that we did not have a good, good response time. If, if there's a, um, an area that is further away from the station that we're not getting to, very often because of drive time, you're going to see kind of similar, similar view. So if you look at, at uh, far north Lawrence, uh, where we're going to have some more calls, but it's a little bit further from a station, right. we have the, the same color as you see at that one that's close to station four. Got it. Makes sense. Thank you. Any other questions, Commissioner Sellers or anybody? It's Commissioner Kelly, I have, I have a follow-up to that. So it's interesting to me that all of those areas in red are on the edges. And I guess that's where they would be less populated. And because of the small number, it may skew your response rate on your response times. As an educator, we don't look at classes that are super small because the number is too small. Do you ever push those out in your analysis and say, there's a certain threshold we got to get to before we look at whether we put a response rate on, because I think what you're saying makes total sense. If you only have two places you're responding to, you'd be at 50%. But is there any, we call it an N factor. Is there ever an N factor you're looking for there? Yeah. There's, making there's, sense. There's quality and quantity if you, if you yeah. want to look at it uh, that way. And, and the quality is the number of times we're up there, the quantity, if you will, is population and, and growth in that area. And so th those, Areas on the north and, and the west are areas where we're experiencing significant growth and cross-referencing those. If we were to overlay that with the, the map that shows building permits, you, you'll see those areas have a lot of building permits in them. So we're getting both calls 
and um, response times that are lengthy because of the distance from station in, in those areas. And, and not all of them are like that. The, the other area that I could point out that's um, probably not very many calls, but, but also poor response time is, is the one at the far south of Lawrence. It's south of K-10 there. Um, not very many calls in that area because it's not, there's not much there, uh, but it does take us a long time to get there. So a, a kind of a similar effect, but the, the opposite is the, the kind of darker colored box on the far west side of, of Lawrence that's similar color. There's going to be more calls there. It's just also very far for us to get to. Thank you. Two quick. Oh, go ahead. For our data, we do have an outlier policy that we use to submit our accreditation data. Um, so we can provide that to you as well. And that's something that we look at when we go through our response time and really break apart each of those um, time metrics. And that's something that would be used um, when we do the 2020 station optimization um, analysis update. When we do that optimization, the update to the optimization, can you put in um, like the annexation, like the areas, like assume there's going to be X number of houses there. Can you do that? Yep. So when we do the um, analysis, we work with the GIS team with the city. Um, so we use the five uh, identified dimensions of risk. And so we'll update each of those with um, the data that we have and then some forecasting as well. Um, so there are some analysis that goes along with that. So a great example was um, we talked about the road mileage and being able to access certain points um, to be able to look at an area and say, okay, the road goes this far, let's understand that there's probably going to be housing development. So even though the line shows that it stops here, that's because the road currently stops there. But understanding that um, if there's going to be a neighborhood, that it looks like it should be able to expand to that area. And that becomes a part of that response um, capability. Well, I guess I'd be, in addition to what we've already approved, I'd be very interested on, I mean, most of these maps are looking at representing, you know, 15th Street on the other side. I'd like to see what that looks like because in the next, you know, few years that will be developed, if you could include that. Um, other question, you talked a little bit about the a timeline for building out under one of your proposals. What would the staffing proposal look like? I'd assume it'd be very hard to hire 48 firefighters in a short amount of time. What's the ramp up on hiring firefighters? If you say yes today, I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> unfortunately, um, the this industry has seen a, a decline in wanting to apply. So we have been fortunate here in the city of Lawrence and Douglas County to hire great people, even though the um, the applicants has been a little bit lower than in the past. Um, it would take a, a significant ongoing recruitment um, process to just, we would have to have class after class um, to be able to do that. We have limiting um, space um, if we are going to continue to do our training out at the training center. Uh, so we would be limited. We've done classes up to 13, I believe, maybe even 17, actually a few years back. So we we can accommodate. It is, it, it is somewhat difficult, but we would be able to um, phase that in appropriately by the time that we would be able to have to man a station. I think we, I'm confident in saying we'd be able to to fully staff those. Okay. Follow -up you can imagine it'd be a fairly complex mixture of getting the people in place, getting the station built, getting the apparatus built, because because they're all arriving at the same time, same, hopefully at the same time, but but we'd have to start at different points of getting them in place. So 
we'd, uh, we'd definitely be sitting down trying to map that out ahead of time. For sure. Mayor, a questions. Okay. Go ahead, Commissioner Sellers. Are you wait? Are you? I I can wait after Commissioner Wiley. I've waited this long, so. Mm -hmm. So, um, looking at the the option one with the additional two stations and moving one station, uh, how long would that uh, format be expected to cover the needs before? Uh, as we're looking to grow west before there would need to be looked at again. So it, it'd be nice to have not only if we're putting money into this, but what is also the next step after that. Um, I know that's further into the guesswork part, but there are some some you know, suggestions for where uh, development might occur later than that. Yeah, we, we've been discussing that. And uh, when we sit in our, our meetings and look at maps, we, we look at the growth and, and we kind of debate where we think growth is going to be and we monitor the applications that that come through the city uh, so I, I think the answer is we're not sure but we can give you a best guess um, the best guess that I, I would like to um, do would be based on both uh, what I would anticipate happening on the southeast part of the city with with growth due to the Panasonic plant coming in place and also additional growth to the northwest um, just just visually looking at a map and kind of putting dots on it I could see you know, at some point in the in the future, another station further out to the to the west and north, perhaps, and then one maybe further to the to the south and east. So that that's what I would anticipate uh, well past my tenure here, but just looking forward. And the other is as we expand into rural areas, we get closer to um, stations that are already held by Consolidated One, I think especially the Wakarusa station, which is close to you know areas that are suggested for the um, moving of or for an additional station, how how does that play in in terms of uh, response? Uh, we haven't had that conversation specifically with Consolidated Fire District One, but we think there are opportunities here for collaboration with our builds, uh, not only with other fire districts, but also with other entities. Uh, I've had um, just just kind of shooting the breeze with Kansas Fire Rescue Training Institute. They're looking for space, and that's something that that we may be able to collaborate with them. Uh, there's some uh, potential for redundancies with some of the other emergency management functions uh, in in the area, um, and so there there are opportunities for us to uh, maximize the use of these facilities. I know internally we've had discussions about creating space to have wellness and and physicals, annual physicals done, uh, an examination room, if you will. Um, or to, to visit with a mental health care provider and, and have those in spaces that are, are quiet but are owned and, and are, are maybe not next to administration. So there's removed some of that uh, um, potential fear of, of seeing someone. Can I follow up on that? Sorry, Commissioner Sellers. Um, so when you were discussed, when you mentioned co-location opportunities, was Walker Roos and not one, not one that you were considering? Only just in kind of chit chat, not in any terms of any long term planning. Pardon me, what was your Wakarusa? That that's consolidated. Consolidated one, one. yeah, it's in the city limits. That that wasn't one you considered for your co location. Was your term co location opportunities? Yeah, it's it's something that we've uh, that that I've thought about. I haven't had a talk with with Chief Baxter about that yet, but I, I have looked around his station and and. You know, just consider that in my head, but we would want to have those formal discussions, uh, maybe more than just over coffee. Commissioner Sellers. 
this real quick in regards to the staffing piece. Do we know of any um, state practices as far as recruitment strategies for additional trainees, any type of incentivization, incentivization programs or something of that nature, kind of like a reciprocity or housing bonus in order to recruit public safety officers such as fire and medical? Sure. So uh, over the last couple of years, we've um, done a lateral move. Uh, we've incentivized by um, bringing lateral transfers over from uh, folks that have um, experience and or certifications that would increase their pay or we would give them a bonus. Uh, specifically, paramedic is what we're we're um, giving a bonus for now. Um, we are in conversations currently with um, the local as well as ourselves about what can we do to incentivize and have these lateral moves come over here so that it um, entices those folks to come here, live here, and um, uh, work here for years to come. So we are we are investigating and we've implemented some strategies within the last two years. One of them um, if you are an EMT or an AEMT and you start with us, uh, you will go to paramedic school and finish that within an allotted time. It's currently three years. We may have to adjust that uh, just because of um, uh, the ability to monetarily pay for that if we get a large group of people um, and or uh, the way that paramedic schools play out. You don't always get to pick when they start. They pick for you. And so um, we would hate to put somebody into a predicament where they have to go to school earlier than they're comfortable with and then not do well because of the stress of starting a new or at a new um, uh, department. So we, we have discussed that. We've changed quite a bit in the last um, 24 months. And then as a quick reminder, with the CIP request, um, Strategy-wise, are you thinking of, is this something more concurrent as the, the request over the years? Are you thinking equipment, getting equipment ordered along with land acquisition and building design, or how do you envision rolling out the CIP? Yeah, so in the CIP, um, a change that we've done this year that you'll see soon um, that's different than last year is that we are putting the land acquisition and design in the same year. Um, we think with the current market that we're able to do that within a year and then the build would be the next year. So equipment to go within those stations and then also within the apparatus, um, we would look at the lead time for those. And some of that would be in our operating budget um, because that's where we put some of our equipment. Others will go into the CIP proposals. Okay. Anything else, Commissioner Sellers? Um, I do, but in the interest of time, we can keep it going. Yes. It's with... Okay. <laughs> um, I know in terms of incident count, you had 2022, but uh, do you have anything as of now, what, what's trending for 2023? Yeah, we actually looked this morning. Um, right now we are almost to 6,000 calls for 2023. Um, we had looked at what the average call volume was per day since the beginning of the year and now, um, and we're right around 44, 46 calls a day. Um, two years ago, we were at 36 calls a day. Um, so we are seeing a steady increase in that. Okay, thank you. Mayor, I have a question. <clears throat> this is Commissioner Reed. I am curious about Talk to me about North Lawrence a little bit. I've brought this up before. It might have been before your time, Chief Llewellyn. I don't think we've been in conversation about it, but um, 
you know, when uh, well, there's a very tiny piece of red in the um, uh, in North Lawrence, but it's not optimal otherwise. It's yellow and orange, and uh, you know, North Lawrence is the odd neighborhood, and that the only access point is the bridge. So I have long had conversations with residents over the years about <clears throat> um, concern about not having a station in North Lawrence. It's a relatively low population density. The city limits don't go too far beyond the bridge, right? And Grant Township is also its own unique um, sort of situation geographically. But I just want to understand what kind of conversations y'all have had about that because the numbers don't look great. There's also more infill happening in North Lawrence than some other neighborhoods. So density is increasing there. Um, and again, that access point. So I'm curious, I guess it's a twofold question. One, can you let us in on what does it, what does the plan look like if the bridge is inaccessible um, in terms of a geographically cut off neighborhood um, for any of your stations to respond to? And two, um, do you have any uh, concerns or inklings about sort of increased demand for calls there over the years and whether or not, you know, that North Central station optimization, I'm not sure that that will have impact on North Lawrence, right? Because it's still, it's, it's further removed than station one is. Yeah, so um, in recent years, um, really actually for years past, and I shouldn't even say recent, we have staffed um, numerous events when that concern has been brought to our attention or we we know about it. Um, so we we never take that lightly. We've always either put an ambulance or a fire truck up there during those heavily populated um, times, most recently during the the St. Patrick's Day Parade. So we do spend some time up there. Um, there is obviously other access to um, North Lawrence via the highway, which is fortunately it's a highway, right? So we don't have any stoplights. And, and I, we, it's, I'm not saying that it's not a concern and it would delay that time, but there is access um, either from Eudora um, getting on I-70 or the other um, two exits into Lawrence. Okay, thank you. Okay, with, um... To be respectful of everybody's time, we'd indicated we'd go, go an hour. Does anybody want to continue with the conversation? Um, is anybody concerned about doing that? If, if not, do you mind if we ask more questions or have more discussion? Are you okay with that? Okay. Are we set, Commissioner, uh, Mayor Larson, are you setting a time or are we just going to let this continue to go organically? <laughs> well, that's kind of where we're getting at is to how far we want to go, kind of trying to get, get there. So we could go another... Um, 10, 15 minutes. Let's go 15 minutes. Sure, okay. We need a motion or do we, are we just agreeing mm, by acclamation? No, no, we don't need a motion for that. Just that's what we're going to work at 15 minutes. So it'll be about. Mayor, if I, could, if I could add in, since we're, we're going to continue on, I just wanted to expand on Commissioner Reed's question about sure. uh, our, our discussion about North Lawrence. We haven't looked specifically at activity or trends relative to that area of the city, but we we uh, um, do have that conversation, as Chief Joel said, anytime there's what I would call an artificial blockage to the to the bridge or a potential for concern for access, it would, would be similar to what would happen if there was some type of emergency that blocked the bridge permanently. But we do have those plans in place. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I um, hopefully as part of your process of those working on those mutual aid agreements that our neighbors to the north and northeast, especially, I'm, I'm sure we've called on them a lot because of that um, geographic. They're just 
quite closer um, than than we are at times, depending. So thanks. Okay, other discussion? You want to look at the policy questions or? I got one more thing to throw out. Okay. Um, uh, it came to my attention, I'm sure it's come to other commissioners' attention uh, recently that um, the University of Kansas doesn't necessarily pay taxes in the same way that we do. Um, and they may have a considerable number of calls, although I haven't seen a specific number. I'm only hearing this anecdotally. Um, without creating more work for anyone, do you uh, want to comment on whether or not we should reevaluate that relationship since we're here with our strongest partners? Um, that might be a conversation we should uh, create somewhere else, but I wanted to mention here while we work together. Hi. To speak to the first part of your question, I haven't seen data specific to our responses on university property. Um, and I think the, uh, um, the other question is, is probably a governance question. The only data set that we've really seen um, an increase of call volume is um, relative to false alarms or smoke detectors going off in um, dormitories. Um, so that is one thing that we're trying to work with those partners. The department is working with um, KU to try to figure out how do we stop um, those from happening, those false alarms, and really be sure that we're responding to emergencies. I believe we started charging for those this year, didn't we? That, that is on our plan. We had to uh, turn over with our assigned assistant city attorney, and, and that's on our, our, our immediate ask for assistance with crafting a an ordinance to bring before you. Okay, I thought that was part of the 2023 budget was to start collecting that. It is, okay. okay. Other items, are there other thoughts? Um, so I'm back on page 19, um, which are the response times in the rural area, the central map there. And so your, your other maps are counting first on scene, and then the other piece of data you have is when do you have a full complement? Uh, when talking about the rural area, first on scene is not LDCFM. So when the ambulance gets there is, is that full complement. So it's a little bit different data set between the two. And I think one of the things that Commissioner Kelly was kind of getting to is uh, how do we better see and understand the data for first, first response um, and also for ambulance response um, within those geographic areas because they're they're pretty chunky there's a lot of data within there i'm sure but is there another way to visualize that so we can understand it better yeah that's a great question so i'll answer that in two parts um all of these maps are the first responding unit ldcfm unit um, we have talked previously about looking at other um, agencies data and so we still need to um, set a time to do that and to identify um, what that response looks like um, the other thing was some of our recommendations from the newly published documents related to accreditation and also accreditation recommendation for the department is to look at our planning zones um, in a different way. So planning zone 11 is a great example. Planning zone 11 is massive. Um, we can just see that whole space. It's 37 incidents and 57% met, um, but I could not tell you where in that area by looking at that planning zone, those happened. So what we're wanting to do in the immediate future is look at our planning zones, um, reevaluate the planning zone sizes, and then also the correlation with stations, if that's something that we want to do um, with the correlation or just be separate or looking at different parts of risk in the community um, throughout Douglas County. And so um, part of the delay with that is we wanted to see what we were going to do with our deployment model to see if um, 
the planning zone makeup could revolve around that um, or look at specific pieces of high risk areas and separate those off when looking at um, data sets like this. And I know we're here to talk mostly about response times in, in Lawrence as a good part of that you know, joint meeting here. Uh, so as we add more stations in Lawrence, my guess is that many areas of the rural area will also see an increased response time as we move stations further to the edges of, of town and get out of town more quickly. I think that southwest part of the county will continue to be unmet or undermet. And that's just if we have the right data that we can be watching for that and decide when there's uh, when we need to have that other discussion. Yes, and I'd like to follow up with that. Hopefully, have a decrease in response time. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we're thinking. Um, all of our LDCFM units can respond countywide. Um, so our medic units that are located here in the city do not stay in the city. They can um, go out to other parts of the county as needed. So yeah, hopefully um, that's the plan with those station expansions, specifically um, when talking about planning zone 11, station six, that Southern star would be where that station would be around, um, would primarily respond to that area as well. Thank you. Any other items? Commissioner Sellers? Are we in a discussion phase or are we? Yeah, yes, questions? discussion. If you've got questions, that's fine too. Discussion. I don't, I don't have any questions. I think I, I was looking at the discussion item. I didn't know if we were going to get to those pieces. So I, I'll wait for those in, like I have been, wait for those who are in, in the room to generate additional discussion on recommendations from LDCFM. Okay. So we can move on to the policy questions that were proposed, options one, two, and three. Any thoughts? Uh, first off, I guess I'll get it started. Uh, I'd be in favor of option one, uh, just given what um, my questions and kind of where I've been leaning. Um, it seems like we've been pressing pretty hard with the stations that we have. So especially if we've got uh, further development with Panasonic and we've our recent annexations that it would make sense to go ahead and keep keep trend with that so thoughts do you want do you have any do you want to expand upon why you're not interested in sending this to a ballot measure I I don't believe I I I don't know if it's worth the expense of doing it if we're going to have to do it anyway, when I feel we're going to have to do it anyway. So uh, why wait to go ahead and do it by, you know, and add staff hours to do it and probably add, you know, other costs with putting it to a vote like that when we, when eventually we're probably going to have to do it anyway, fairly soon. So. How do you see us paying for it? I'm not at that point yet, but you know, sure. You no, know, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a fair question, but I just see the need. So mm -hmm. that's my honest answer. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Mayor, do we have anyone from is Jeremy online? He is. So Jeremy, can you talk about the difference in incorporating this into a CIP, whether we went with option one or option two? As and cross reference that with if we did a ballot measure, which could potentially mean an increase in sales tax. 
or would that be the only option with a ballot measure? Chairman Wilmoth, Finance Director, um, I've not had a lot of conversations with the uh, fire department about this, but the conversations I have had have been leaning more towards a mill levy than a sales tax. Okay. Um, so I don't know if sales tax is an option. Uh, mill levy is uh, the discussions that we've had. So um, I guess the uh, the only distinction would be if um, if this were to go to a um, ballot initiative, um, then we would, you know, need to come up with what we believe the uh, the mill levy impact is. Right. I would recommend that we have some kind of a leading factor as well so that we don't just fund the first year costs, but we have some way to uh, fund ongoing costs for uh, for both the building projects um, and the and the operations. Um, I believe it would be up to um, both the county, depending on who would be putting issues on the ballot as to whether that's a property tax or a sales tax or, or some combination thereof. Thank you, Jeremy. And then, and so then with it being, if it's a ballot measure and we we're looking at in initial conversations where a mill levy increase, that would automatically mean for this year, we would potentially go over the revenue ne neutral rate and we would have to proceed with those processes as well in preparation for if that was a decision made. I guess I'm trying to map this out with a ballot measure. How does that impact what we're going to agree upon for this year's budget and CIP? Um, that's a good question. I don't I don't know that anything from in this proposal would impact the 24 budget per se, um, as I believe we would simply be in the uh, design uh, phase. Um, so the the heavy cost for both the city and the county would come in, in I believe, 25 and beyond. Um, so if the um, elected officials were to choose the ballot measure route, uh, we would get that on the ballot uh, in September uh, for a mill levy impact uh, in the 2025 budget. 2025 budget. Close question. I don't. Do we not have any sales tax eligibility? Do we? I mean, countywide. We couldn't do a countywide sales tax, correct? Right. Yeah. We don't have any countywide eligibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be an option. The county. I guess my concern with a a ballot issue is who does the ballot issue? Is it a county ballot issue that, and then the city follows up? If we put two ballot issues on, one for the city and one for the county. What happens if one, one passes and one fails? Or um, th that's my concern about a property tax issue. And I guess the, I mean, the, the city would, the city, the city property tax mill would be greater than the counties. But on the other hand, if we we're only going to do a, a, a again one ballot measure, it seemed like it would have to be the county to see what the whole, every resident in the county thinks about it, but they would be disproportionately affected more than the city, so that doesn't seem like a fair mm -hmm. question. So that's my concern about a ballot issues, how, how you would, since we're joint, jointly funding these, how would you put that on a ballot? 
we don't yet have the data for what impact it would have outside of the city of Lawrence in terms of EMS, which of course is the part that you know, yeah. falls on the county. Um, so that would be premature um, in terms of, of any kind of ballot measure that would go countywide because we can't make that claim yet. Yeah. Again, I was being more hypothetical, like hmm. how would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> because the ballot measure, even for the county, once you figured it out, even if you wanted to, it would affect someone who lived outside the city limits of Lawrence differently then would affect someone in the city of Lawrence. So that wouldn't be a really fair question to ask, but the flip would be true as well. I think my assumption would be that these, this body or these two bodies would determine uh, what is what the community need is for fire and medical response, um, and then look at you know ways to get there. Uh, and then the flip side of that is if if we don't do that, if we decide what the community needs um, and and can't do that or decide not to do that, what's the harm that's done? And I think much of that harm would be um, you know in terms of EMS response and fire response, there would be actual harm to lives and property, um, but there could also at some point be a decrease in the ISO rating. Or I guess increase in the ISO rating, which would go from one to a two, and then people's uh, people would bear the brunt of that increased um, um, property insurance on homes and businesses. So it's not that there's a there's a cost zero way out of it. So just framing, I, I think I think the first question is what's needed, and the second question is how to pay for it. I think from from my perspective, I would want to to see what the mill levy would look like, what the needed mill levy would look like before making any decision as to whether to do a ballot or not do a ballot. So I would want more detail on that. I, I'm pleased to hear the discussion around whether it's city, county, how, how does that go? Because that I think is, is confusing to me. And if it's confusing to me as a County Commissioner, I'm sure we have plenty of people who live in our community who it's confusing to as well. So I, I think that's something really, I, I guess I'd lean against a ballot measure because I think of how this partnership and relationship works and that we are a representative body who has to make choices all the time when it comes to mill levy and what what's the right mill levy to set and, and weighing, as Commissioner Willie said, I thought really well, like what would be the harm? Like if we don't this change what's that impact i'd like to get more information on that to understand you know we sort of set this four minute benchmark i'd like to understand like if we don't do this where are we at it doesn't sound like we're real clear on whether we'll move to iso2 you know like what's the marker that moves to iso2 i haven't heard that and maybe that may be another discussion for another time but um yeah i, I just think i think it's it's on our our elective bodies to work together to think about this issue and how best to first decide whether to do it and second how to pay for it yep. real quick i have a question in regards to option two i know it was presented i'd be curious to know option two was presented to it to benefit what outcome or is there is there a benefit outcome yeah, option two um, is primarily to address what Chief Luan mentioned earlier, where that station is at the end of its life. Um, and so with that relocation or rebuild, um, that would be option two. So addressing the immediate need of facilities versus um, coverage. And then one thing to also think about with option two is um, it so in option one, station three that would have to be rebuilt is moved and station seven offsets um, so that they can provide 
good coverage throughout all of that area in the north, um, kind of the northwest and north central space. Um, however, if station three is rebuilt at the current location, um, we come back to the same conversation as option one in a few years or less. Um, and if it's moved, then we have new gap areas that are not being, um, not having great performance. So essentially, if we went with only an option two, then we could potentially we won't see, we may not even see an improvement in emergency response time. We could create another gap. We, we are, we're not, I don't see anything listed as far as additional resources. So it's just a, a physical movement is not going to create any response or responder benefits from what I'm seeing. That's correct, Commissioner. It would be a, a, essentially a rebuild of, of a single station that would maintain our current service level. And we would still be struggling with overtime. We'd still be struggling with, so yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm not seeing it as a viable option for any mutual benefit whatsoever. But it sounds like my fellow commissioners on the city and county level have discussed maybe wanting some additional information around what a ballot measure with a mill levy increase looks like. I know in the presentation, it seems like it was more directed towards the city to lead that charge, but maybe it sounds like there's a potential dual or dual ballot measure or whatnot. And as far as which direction to go, I, I will leave that. Um, I, can, I, I won't speak for anyone. Um, you know, I think the idea is as we move forward that we want to look at an option one. Um, all of these are going to impact us as far as it relates to uh, response times as well as the need for FTEs. Um, unfortunately, this is what happens when we, I don't, I don't think we're at critical mass, but we're at, we're at infrastructure and growth in infrastructure. And we're not necessarily looking at this at the 11th hour, but pretty close to it. And how do we move in those spaces as it relates to workforce need, um, response time need as it relates to ISO, um, as well as potential need with annexation and, and, and growth that we have identified as, as a measure we would like to address uh, as it relates to prosperity and economic security. So, um, you know, I have my angst against a ballot measure, especially as we're coming into the budget season and we're looking at revenue neutral or to not and mill and knowing that we've had previous, others have had previous conversations about wanting to decrease and maybe, maybe, maybe making those statements prematurely as it relates to the needs, infrastructure needs that we have as it relates to public safety. So I'm not of the right mind to, to lead even with additional information with the ballot measure, I think this is something that we need to look at from a CIP perspective. Um, you know, we have form of government, we have a presidential election. This could potentially be a nightmare for us um, with best intentions, with a timeline that we will be giving to educate and inform our constituency on. So, I mean, if we want a perfect storm, yeah, go with a ballot measure and decide between option one or option two. Um, I think it's non-sequitur with, it, regardless if you have a ballot measure, but I think this, if we're truly committed to wanting to operationalize out 
this type of expansion and need, then it should be incorporated within the CIP. So I, I would pr just propose, I'm sorry, Sarah, you're gonna say something? I think staff has prepared information on the estimated mill levy impacts. Well, they have. They're, these are very rough. Um, we don't know how pay projections are. Um, there are a lot of things that will impact these. These are, a lot of these are estimates, but yes, these that's not complicated math. Yeah, so we do have um, the estimated mill levy increase for the ongoing annual cost of option one. Um, so for that $6.8 million um, annually would be the city of Lawrence um, is estimated a 3.32 increase. Douglas County is a 1.285 mill levy increase. What was the city's? The city is 3.32 increase. And that's at the 48 employees. So not next year, it'd be 2025. At some point we'll fully. Yeah. Correct. And so we also, when we budgeted or when we um, estimated the personnel costs, we looked at a two staff A station. So instead of saying um, new firefighters at this pay rate, we looked at what do we um, what do we spend annually to staff a station. So with all the ranks, um, with the certifications. Um, and then those ongoing expenses that those stations incur. So that's the operational. What about the um, construction? Um, pay for, uh, for the capital? I know Jeremy's on here. Jeremy, do you have those numbers? The um, only numbers I have is what I shared with you last time. I'm still not clear if the city would borrow all the money and then the county would um, you know, pay for a portion of our debt service or if we would have a portion and they would have a portion. I think uh, all those things have uh, varying differences of mill levy impact, but uh, presuming that the city borrowed $52 million, the debt service would be roughly six and a half to $7 million uh, for the next 30 years. Based on our current assessed valuation, that'd be about an eight and a half per mil increase to the debt service levy. That's in addition to the 3.32. Wow. Thank you, Jeremy. Any other items want to discuss? I guess I would just say I'm probably in favor of option one. I mean, I, well, I'd say this, there's no doubt we're going to do it at some point. The only question is when we're going to do it. I mean, you're going to have to build these as we continue to go west and continue to go south. I mean, um, and and I guess I'm in favor of moving that process forward, certainly building one in the northwest um, and relocating three I guess the you know the one I continue to have questions is on is what do we do about you know is it a brand new station, um, whatever you know, in South or is there something we can do by putting you know an EMS only along with fire district one to to, to have fire protection but have EMS there is it or is there something we can do you know with those facilities um, that we could you know consider some agreement with them. 
I don't know enough about it to to make a strong statement about it, but it would. I, I do think there's something we need to look at more with Consolidated One and their fire station and how we'd overlap in that in that area. Um, but maybe the answer is that that doesn't work. But I think it's something I'd want to explore before committing fully. Yeah, this this Commissioner Reed and oh, sorry, go ahead, Commissioner Sellers. Oh, sorry, Commissioner Reed, just real quick. Um, so to that point, Commissioner Finkeldie, and and to Chief Llewellyn, if if there was an option, let's just call it one B, to do one expansion station, a relocation, and to utilize if we were to utilize those dollars to do one expansion, a relocation and add additional equipment, do you see that as a viable option? Or is that just, that doesn't do anything? Was, was that it for me, Commissioner? Or for, for anybody yes. that can answer yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I see that, I do see that as an option. Obviously we we'd need to talk to our, uh, any affected parties before we, we moved in and, um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, I think I think any option is uh, is worth looking at uh, for sure because there are uh, opportunities that exist here for us to share share locations and share services as we discussed. But it'd be you know, any, anything's worth looking at. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say call it a one B, but maybe that could be the new option two. I haven't heard anyone clamor about option two, and I don't want to speak for anyone, but um, maybe that's. A, another option to look at if you didn't, I mean, I wasn't moved by the rationale for option two. And so maybe consider that the next go around, we have this presentation, if we could see what that would look like. Yeah. Sorry, and, Commissioner I can, and I can see that um, when we redo the station optimization analysis, um, making that area, um, we can see what the GIS tool is able to do and what those response times um, look like. Thank you. This, this Commissioner Kelly, I apologize, but I am going to have to leave. Yeah. I appreciate the comment. We're a little over our scheduled time, so I apologize. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So if there's any, if there's nothing else, we can go ahead and um, adjourn. If Mayor, just uh, oh, you just had something. very briefly, I just want to say, I mean, Commissioner Sellers, you practically took the words right out of my mouth. Um, and I just wanted to <laughs> piggyback off off of Commissioner Finkeldie's question to suggest, you know, that I, um, there is, that something is not quite sitting with me about option one fully, but I think that's because there's more opportunity there. I think that's really what's sitting with me that there, I would agree with Commissioner Sellers that there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, uh, purpose behind option two. That feels like a stopgap and a Band-Aid kind of, and it costs a lot of money and doesn't get us a lot of improvement. Um, <clears throat> so, but option one still, it kind of feels like, um, I don't know, maybe there's just something a little bit more creative, right? A little bit more of a hybrid situation because I really do appreciate the idea of co-location. And I know that involves a lot of conversations and a lot of entities, but I think there's economies of scale there. I think there's opportunity for like more meaningful and enhanced collaboration um, countywide. I just, uh, and maybe with state partners even. So I'm interested in it going that down that road a little bit further and understanding better if there's something besides two brand new ground up stations 
with land acquisition included and the apparatuses and all that and the relocation, if there's something that um, is a little bit more creative and hybrid, I guess I'll just, you know, summarize that. Thank you. It's just one small piece we haven't talked about, it's not a small piece that we haven't talked about with the conversations about uh, if it comes down to prioritizing neighborhoods over each other, you know, all three of those that are identified gaps are actually within my current uh, commission district. So I know those neighborhoods pretty well. And the Southern one that's identified um, are, are areas of you know, lower socioeconomic status. And I don't want that area in, in particular to not receive the same upgrade of services as are to the west and to the north. So that's just a something to keep as we're looking at creative options or what a what a one one B might look like. Uh, that that's part of the conversation too, which I'm sure it would be. Yeah, I appreciate that, and that's something within the station optimization analysis. One dimension of the five. Um, dimensions of risks is the disadvantaged population. So we will look at that data again. Um, and then within each of the recommendations that we may produce um, with this going forward, um, that information will be a part of that study. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for your time and, and the presentation and questions and discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.